Welcome to the Yes Collective podcast. If you're hearing this, then you are not on our private members-only podcast feed where we have our public episodes like this one, but tons more amazing mental wellness content, including our therapist circles, on-the-go articles, parent-focused meditations, and special episodes you won't want to miss. So head on over to yescollective.co, become a supporting member, and we'll get you your own private podcast feed today. We've got a really special episode lined up this week. We're kicking off our theme of the month, work-life wellness, with the amazing Jen Cornelius, Chief People Officer of Ritual, an innovative personal wellness brand dedicated to transparency and science. Jen has worked in leadership and organizational development at Apple, Pinterest, and Sweetgreen, and also as a private consultant. She's passionate about helping organizations grow into people-first, values-driven places to work. And we've known Jen and her family for years through our work with Maxlet Project. She's a childhood cancer mom, a fierce advocate for families, and an all-around amazing person. We talk about Jen's professional journey, how she helps others build deep, trusting relationships at work, how we can bring our whole selves to work, and the tools and resources to care for our mental and emotional health across the work-life continuum. If you care about bringing your whole self to work and back home at the end of the day, then you're going to love listening to us dive deep. Without further ado, here's our interview with the wise and wonderful Jen Cornelius. This month, the theme in Yes Collective this month, we mulled over what like what words we were going to use, but we landed on something like work-life wellness. We were also playing around with work-life wholeness. And just the basic idea being, what are the practices that we can bring into our life that will allow us to have more mental and emotional health and wellness uh, it, throughout our entire life. And that will uh, help us uh, bring more of ourselves to work and then also bring more of ourselves home at the end of the day. So we're interested in, in all of this. We're going to explore this with you, Jen, and we're going to chop it up. But I guess before we dive into all of that, we want to find out more about you, Jen. You've had an amazing career so far. And so I, I guess I just want to start with like, when did you first know that you were interested in this people work in the world of HR, people development? When did that first show up on your radar? My very first job ever was as a, at a clothing store and I'm an extrovert. Um, and so I get my energy from other people. And I always knew that I liked working with people and I, I loved clothes and selling products. And so I think early on, you know, doing sales work was really fun. Um, but as I grew through the ranks and my very first company and became a manager, I got to experience, you know, what it was like to actually help support people in their careers and help give guidance and coaching. And so even back then, I don't think I knew it was going to turn into HR work. But what I did know was that, you know, whether it was like doing the inventory or closing a till or leading a feedback conversation, like the feedback conversation was the part that I really liked. 
So I think there were early indicators of, of you know, just the people dynamics being the, the part that's most fascinating um, and what I, you know, what turned out to be where my gifts actually live. You saw that like the thing you loved most was the interactions was mm -hmm. as you started to develop throughout your career. Mm. How do you look at what you do now? Like what, what, how would, how would you describe what you do now from this people centric perspective? Yeah, so I'll, I'll continue that story just a bit. So I, you know, worked my way through the ranks in, in management roles and then eventually moved into more of a training role um, because I also found that I really enjoyed um, both learning about kind of frameworks and skills and things that could make me better as a human, but also discovered that I really like teaching that to other people too. Um, so that was my first kind of foray into HR work was working in kind of learning and development and um, and then eventually started doing, you know, other types of, you know, when you think about the the employee life cycle at work, there's all these different stages or seven of them. And, um, you know, I started to find that each of the interventions you get to have, whether it's like bringing somebody in as a candidate or onboarding them or developing their skills or giving feedback, you know, that whole cycle was really interesting to me. Um, and I also, you know, I knew that um, if you did it well and I could observe it because of some of the leaders that I worked with. But if you were good at it, it made people happier at work. It, it meant that they, you know, drove better performance. Um, and so, so for me, that was really cool because it was like, you know, there's tactical skills that that you can deploy and like you could build something. Or you know, I think back again to my kind of early stages of doing more labor type of work. But it was really just the human interaction pieces um, that were found to be, in my experience, like most impactful, right? And driving performance and driving revenue. Um, in a company. So um, I settled into that kind of pretty early on that I knew I wanted to work on the backside. I didn't need to be in the spotlight. I loved being sort of behind the scenes um, and working with people to feel better about how they showed up at work and the skills they were building. Um, and, you know, it's it's been really cool to get to see how, you know, as the world is changing and as people are changing, like there's still a ton of value in that work. In fact, there's probably more value than ever um, in that work today, uh, given given the environment that they're in. You mentioned being able to witness like how uh, how various things could help people be happier at work. Yeah. And I have worked in a number of different environments um, before coming to being more self-employed. And I never, I really don't think I were ever worked at a place that really considered people being happier at work. That really was like, it was a peripheral, like, like, you know, maybe kind of priority, but not really high up. It was more sort of like, the kind of managing of people's time and like accountability and making sure that people are at their desk and, you know, or whatever, or, you know, of course the restaurant industry is different um, yeah. even from that. Um, so how did you, how did you find yourself in a, I guess, in a place where that is a priority? And then did you go from there to say, Hey, I want to work in places that, that, that care about this, that care about, you know, employee development and their like well being and their happiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great question because I feel, you know, I look back on my career and feel really lucky because I think, you know, both I'll take credit. I did some hard work to get where I am, but I also made some good choices in the organizations that I joined. And so, you know, the probably the first organization that sort of helped me understand what that looks like, because I didn't even know what I, I didn't know back then, but was Starbucks. So, I, you know, the training role that I yeah. talked about a few minutes ago, that was at Starbucks. And, you know, it was back at a time when, 
you know, Starbucks. And I know they're going through a lot right now. And I'm, I'm thinking about all those partners. I still, <laughs> once a partner, always a partner. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, it was the first place I'd ever worked where they genuinely cared about people. Mm -hmm. um, and they focused a lot on selecting great leadership. And, you know, they were the first organization, you know, on a kind of larger scale that was doing part-time benefits and things like that. And so you know, I got to sort of observe what it looked like um, because like you, you know, I'd worked for places where a job was kind of just a job, but um, it really wasn't the case there. And the people were really passionate about what they were doing and they loved being a barista. And so, um, you know, I was lucky to get to work there for several years and got to work with leaders who I saw role model those behaviors and who genuinely cared about me. I left Starbucks um, because of a Starbucks leader that went on to Apple. And as it turned out, Apple was also, and, and you know, thankfully this leader had told me that, but she said, you know, Apple's also really employee centric. So, you know, again, very early on, it was cool to get a chance to be in places that really prioritize that. And I got to learn a lot of the skills um, that I have now. And, you know, I think at a point in my career where I started to have bigger scope and responsibility um, as an HR leader, and I had gotten to see what good looked like, um, it really, uh, it charged me to try to create that um, for others, you know, and I think a, a pivotal moment and in, in kind of that journey that took it even past just kind of being there for people and wanting to care about their happiness was when my own daughter got sick when I was at Apple. Um, you know, Sinatra was diagnosed with leukemia. And, you know, at the time I worked in a job where um, I got to live and I look back on the experiences and how this has sort of changed me, but I got to live this really cool integrated work life. You talked about work-life wellness or work-life balance. I've, I've always called it sort of my integrated work-life because, you know, I've always had an office at home. I had an office up in Cupertino. And, uh, you know, when Sinatra was sick, I had an office in the hospital. And, you know, and I worked between all three of those places to live this really integrated kind of work-life. Um, you know, and for me, you know, as a parent going through that experience with my child and the rest of my family, Apple was really great and said like, hey, you can take time off if you want to take time off. Um, but if you want to work, you can work. Like, it's up to you. Like, what do you need? How can we wow. be here for you? Um, wow. And I had a very special leader who I will I will call out. Her name is Stephanie Fair. She's still one of my favorite people on the planet. Um, she heads up HR at um, United Healthcare and is a really incredible leader. Oh, yeah. um, but Stephanie said to me, like, you do what you need to do. Like, we're here for you. Um, and it was wonderful because I was able to sort of, you know, like I said, live that integrated work life and be present where I needed to be. And I was really trusted by the team. And that helped me sustain the experience throughout Sinatra's journey. But, you know, I stayed at Apple for 10 years because I knew yeah. I felt so supported. And I did. I got to live this really cool life of getting to be in all the places that were important to me um, and got to to choose when, right? Like as an adult, you want those choices. Like we've worked our whole careers to be able to get to a place where you can make choices. But sadly, there are still some organizations where, you know, they do what you talked about at the beginning, Audra, which is like, I need to see your butt in the seat. <laughs> and now like you've worked really hard to be a grown up, but we're not actually gonna treat you like a grown up. Um, so <laughs> it's bizarre to me that that actually is a thing still, but it is. Is there a better word than people centric? Because that's what I'm hearing, Jen. How would you call these companies that are doing it the right way? What's, what, what's the right yeah. word for this? Yeah, I mean, I like people centric. I like human centric. I mean, I think that, you know, companies that understand that the people in their organizations are assets, not commodities, are the mm. ones that are are getting it right. I think, you know, in organizations where you're prioritizing what you're producing over the people who are actually creating it, like, you know, they're, they're, that comes at a cost, right? Like you can do Ooh, it for a I while, love that. a lot of money. Yeah. 
I love that phrasing, prioritizing what you're producing over the people doing the work. Yeah. So people centric or human centric. Um, mm -hmm. And so then there are these other companies that are, I, I think, much, you know, much more conventional um, yeah. that that are not so people centric. So from your experience uh, and and I, I don't know if you can tell us a little bit about the research as well. Is there a bottom line advantage to being people centric? Mm -hmm. I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, in my experience, you know, if the, the human centric approach allows you to capitalize on the gifts of the humans, right? And I think, you know, there's there's a lot that you know when you hire somebody, but there's also a lot you don't know. You know, how people's ability to adapt and be, you know, learning agile, that's one of the things I always look for when we're hiring is like somebody who can do well in a first time situation because you know, if you if you find the right talent, you know, then they're really adaptive and you want people who are adaptive to the environment, um, both other people in the environment, but processes and the structure and the tech and like all the dynamics of the org, you need the people to be able to work in, in the system. And so, um, you know, I think that's it's it's really important. And for me, you know, as I learned that that was important and as I thought about my own career journey and, and even as I think about leading that out in organizations now, it's like you, you have to actually have real alignment around that at the leadership level. Um, that makes a big difference. It's not enough, at least in my experience as the chief people officer, it can't just be me who has that thinking mm, and that hat. Yeah, um, yeah. It actually needs to be the executive team and the senior leadership across the organization. And I think... You know, so I work for Ritual now, which is a really incredible personal health company. And, you know, I um, when I met our founder, um, our values were really aligned. And that, you know, again, you know, going back to sort of the, the gifts of the humans, like I knew the minute I met Kat that um, because we shared similar values about people and about work and about, you know, the world, they weren't the same, but they're sort of the spirit um, was grounded in, in the beliefs that that, you know, the human gifts are the right gifts to focus on. I knew that we would get along really well, you know, and I think um, and that's been really important is like, you know, for anybody who's looking to live a more integrated work life, I think um, it goes back to like, what are the values and how do you match your values with those of the organization? And, you know, some people just want a job to be a job and that's totally cool. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but some people, you know, want the job to be more than that, and they are willing to give more than that, but only if it's worth it, right? And if they feel like they're being seen and heard. And and so I think um, it's an important part to sort of understand what's your strategy around what do you need from the humans in that situation? Yeah, yeah. Well, so I'm thinking, you know, with this theme of work-life wellness or work-life wholeness, there is this other, you know, argument or there's, yeah, there's this other perspective that, Hey, this job is just a job. Like I, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't need to bring my whole self to work. I'm really curious about this perspective because what comes up for me, I have lived most of my life in academia and I mm -hmm. chose to do that because I wanted some job that I could feel my, my, my whole self, like bring all of my passions all of my interests and my whole self too. I didn't want to cut myself off. Is this desire to just make work work? I, you know, I don't want to bring my whole self to work and I want to worry about all that stuff. Is that a sign that maybe, maybe something's wrong? Like it, it feels to me that we spend so much time at work that it just makes sense that 
for just to lead a full integrated life and an emotionally healthy life that we should want a workplace that supports and invites us to bring more of ourselves to work. And then I'll just add one little thing. The more I'm assuming the more of ourselves we can bring to work, the more of ourselves that we can bring home as well. So Jen, I would love to hear what you think. Yeah. I mean, I think it depends. Like, I don't know, I guess I'm going to, this is the, this is the me suspending judgment side of things where I think again, going back to the, the gifts of the humans and understanding sort of, you know, where people are at and their life stages and what's important to them and, and valuing that. I think that comes at different points for people. And so I think there are moments, I certainly have experienced moments where I had a lot more capacity and willingness to want to give more. And then there are moments where I didn't. And actually being able to voice that um, with a leader that trusts me and that I trust to be able to say, like, what I can give to you right now is just the work. And that's it. it I, you know, and then other days being able to to do more. I think that's for me, that's that's the beauty of it. Right. And I think it, it comes back to setting first kind of forming, you know, deep trusting relationships, right, with who you're working with. So you can have that kind of candid conversation, but then just managing each other's expectations. And I think that's, you know, again, like the beauty of the human dynamics mm -hmm. is like, it's always changing. I mean, there's, you know, you guys might experience a storm this weekend, and that might affect your ability to show up and do much of anything in the next four days. Yeah. And then next week, you might be really yeah. ready again. And so I think to to feel like it has to be one way all the time, um, misses the point of, of, you know, people being able to be who they are and and bring that wholeness, you know, and I, I it inspires me to think about too, Justin, yeah. we had a conversation a couple weeks ago around parts therapy, right? And, and parts work and like, how do you allow the parts to be present, you know, when they're present? And, um, and so I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's, it's good to be in tune though. When I look at my own organization, you know, I know there are people who are, are truly engaging and bringing their whole self to work a lot of the time. And, and that shows up because they, you know, they're not just talking about the work, but they're, you know, participating in some of the additional kind of social things that we've got to offer and, you know, things that aren't related to their day to day. And, and they're really engaged and they, they want that community. And then there are other, other team members who are also really talented and super productive um, who are showing up and, and doing the work, but they, you know, they want to spend their extra time doing other things and that's totally okay. I, to I totally agree, agree with that. And, and hearing, hearing that too, Jen, and what you're talking about, Justin, I feel like depends on the work environment, depends on what you're doing. You know what I mean? I think it depends on what sort of work environment you're in because not bringing your whole self might be like really important boundary work, depending on what it is. You know, you're working in social services as a social worker for CPS. Like, you know, it might be the case that you, you know, you need to have some good boundaries there yourself. And for me, what comes up is as the employee, I want to be supported in bringing my whole self in as I want, when I want, like, like it, it's more, I guess, and maybe it's from working in an environment that didn't value that at all and wanted only parts <laughs> to come in, only wanted, you know, wanted only the parts that were going to come in and do the specific job. Um, I still feel like there's, it's the agency there, you know, and like being supported in that. And like you said, Jen, there's ebbs and flows and being supported in those ebbs and flows and having, being in an environment where there are open communications and the ability to do that. So I, I see it more as being an issue if the employer um, or workplace isn't supportive of the whole person, which means 
their ebbs and flows and, you know, kind of like desire to, to show up whole or partial, you know, depending on what they're going through. Maybe some of this is the language that we're using as well. Cause I'm noticing from the perspective or from the approach, the mental and emotional health approach that I'm bringing to the table, you know, I, and it, with all of our experts, our therapists, our coaches, our psychologists in yes, collective, our goal is to help people show up in their lives with their whole selves. And so the, it's really about, you know, we see that, you know, for most of us and Jen, you mentioned parts work. And so anybody who's, who has been following the podcast or who is in yes, collective knows that we're really into this idea of parts work that to, uh, to be in touch with our whole selves is to really start to open up to all different parts inside and all different parts of us. And so I'm curious, like what does a workplace look like that is supportive of this? And so Jen, you've been helping us pilot a program called stepping into yes. And it's really about uh, supporting emotional health. And we have when we talk about emotional health, we're talking about emotional intelligence, emotional resilience, emotional groundedness, and emotional connectedness. And so we want to support this um, both in the workplace and outside. Um, so I'm curious, from, from this perspective, why would it be important for a workplace to support this type of wholeness? What is the advantage? Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a great question because I think um, to me, it sort of feels like this inherent why, like, of course we would want to support that. Why would, like, how do you get people to show up and be their whole self if there isn't a, a safe, you know, they have to feel psychologically safe, right? And and even though I've been sort of working in this space for a while and have really open, candid conversations and bring my whole self to work um, and have been for a long time, there's a lot of people that I work with who haven't had a work environment like that, where they talked about emotional health and well-being in general, or they created any sort of space for it. I mean, that's not typical, right? And so, you know, even just to create the space to say, you know, in the middle of the workday on a Friday, you know, we want to invite you to have this opportunity to participate in this, you know, this, this coaching program that focuses on your emotional fitness and, you know, and, and that that's a priority, you know, like that's, that it's been really, um, I mean, even, you know, talking to our team about it, like it's, it's just not something that they've ever gotten to experience, right? And I think people, People still, as much as I think we're talking about mental well-being and mental health, you know, as a society, and there's you know many more celebrities sort of being really open about it. Like people don't take time in the middle of the day to go see their therapist, and or, or they do, but they're not talking about it, right? And so I think what we're trying to do is say like it's okay <laughs> to create that space where they can be really transparent around mm -hmm. not just how they're feeling. And mm -hmm. I think it's become more it's become more common, at least in my experience, in organizations to like start these virtual meetings with a check-in, you know, and, and, uh, and so we're seeing more of that, which is really cool, yeah. but then how you get people to, to say something that's like really authentic and, and really, um, if it's a tough day, mm -hmm. like to get people to be okay saying that it's a tough day in a work scenario, like we're still working on that. Yeah. Right. But to yeah. not only create that safety, but then, you know, I feel really grateful that we've gotten to participate in the pilot because we're not, we're not just saying it's okay. We're actually saying we want to provide you with resources to help you with this, which is like even more right. nuanced, you know, and focused. Right. But we know that, you know, if, if our team feels connected and supported and safe, you know, they're going to be um, more willing to, you know, fully 
participate and bring their whole self to the work. And, you know, it unlocks, like you think about, you know, when you feel really safe, like unlocking the creativity that comes with that and, you know, all that stuff just comes more natural, mm -hmm. right? When you're, you're really in tune um, with where you're at. I mean, it's such a cool opportunity we've had to participate and, and to also create the space for our team to be like, no, we, we want to help you here. Oh, thank you. Do you think that we're in the midst of a paradigm shift? I feel like the professional workplace has been dominated by kind of like a control model of management mm -hmm. that comes out of the industrial revolution. Do you think that we're in a, in a paradigm shift and, and that where the work that you're in represents a direction that, that hopefully we're growing into and headed into where people are truly valued? It, it is for, for all, for what they bring, for who they are, that human centered approach. Do you think we're in a paradigm shift or do you think that we're, um, just going to be kind of like, uh, there was going to have different no, I think, I think we are in a paradigm shift. Like, I think these changes are permanent. Now, I think it's like varying degrees, right, of, of flexibility, because that's really sort of still what it's about is like, how flexible are you willing to be? And how much trust are you willing to give? So those are sort of, I think, basic fundamental mm -hmm. questions that executive leaders are probably asking themselves now. And then the next layer deeper is like, once you've made decisions about those two questions, like, how do you actually operationalize it? Because you, you do have to do that. Like, it's, it's not enough just to say it, you actually have to take action to do the things to either support through technology, or through behaviors and expectation setting and, you know, in different spaces, like there is work in order to make that stuff real and to make it sustainable over time. So um, yeah, I absolutely think there's a paradigm shifting. And we're seeing more and more, even what was like really traditional organizations that are shifting the ways of working and coming mm -hmm. up with really cool programs to allow people to, you know, see the world and, and, you know, and be able to, to do different things and, and like, and trusting that, you yeah. know, yeah, you might be going away for a month to go live in you know city X, mm -hmm. but like, we know that mm -hmm. you're getting your work done. And so that's what matters and it makes you happier. And so that, yeah. that matters to us. We are seeing it too in retention as well. People are making the decision to stay for organizations that are working to make the situation better and more flexible. So there's an absolute advantage because turnover costs money. So, you, you know, you want people to stay. Um, so the retention increases are great to see. Yeah. And along those lines, does that relate to generational values? Are you seeing that kind of younger people coming into the workforce have different expectations um, than maybe our generation, our parents' generation? Oh, absolutely. And I feel like like this we've been sort of seeing for a little while. I mean, I think millennials started to bring the first wave of kind of thinking differently about their expectations. And then it's only kind of grown from there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think about it even with my own kids and, you know, as they as, as my, you know, preteen, you know, in the next few years, will embark on her own first job, like the decisions that she's already yeah. articulating about how she thinks about that is so much different than what I did. <laughs> you know, I mean, I yeah. was like, where can I make some money? Like where I want right. to something fun and I want to make some money. But she's like, no, I want to work in a place that really it like does something cool that I, I can get excited about. And that makes me, you know, that brings me some joy and some value. Like I, I wasn't thinking about that. So I, I definitely feel like we're seeing it. I mean, I'm certainly experiencing it firsthand. Do you think that we can do a, a better job, um, kind of just like in our society, when we're orienting our kids and our young people into entering the workforce, into understanding the landscape and and being able to identify a good fit for those values. 
Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I'm certainly thinking a lot about that in terms of what I control within my organization of like, how do you paint a picture first for a candidate about what it's really like to work there? I mean, it goes beyond just, you know, these are the values of the company. And then here's a little bit about how we're organized. It's like, how do you tell the story of what the experience is like? Um, and it actually, it's it's been, it's a challenge because even now trying to describe the experience of working in a hybrid way, um, you know, or oh, remote yeah. first way um, and, and what it is, what's it really feel like to be on a Zoom meeting for eight hours, you know, um, and like, and if you are like, I'm not. So I actually am very focused on like scheduling my days for the most part in such a way where I have breaks um, to be able to go outside or to, you know, I'll take a Zoom meeting and then a phone meeting. And, you know, but I, and I have, I feel agency to, to curate my day. I think the challenge is in a lot of organizations, unless you're leading or unless you've empowered your teams to feel like they can lead, they don't feel like they actually have a firm grasp on managing their day. And so if you're the person who's invited into meetings all day, all of a sudden you've, you've gotten yourself into a place where you're, you know, sitting eight hours of Zoom meetings without a break, yeah. which that's not a good experience like for mm -hmm. anyone, right? And so, so there's something there around telling the story. And when I think about telling it for our organization, like making sure that people know that when they join, they have some agency and, and can be creative and thinking about like, what are the ways that I can bring my best to work? And so if you know that your limit is like two hours on a Zoom call and then I'm shot, how do we help people understand that part of bringing yourself to work is being able to say that <laughs> and set those boundaries and say, you know what, actually, I'm going to take this phone meeting later or I take a walk at lunch and just, you know, giving people the agency to make those choices and to talk about what they need. Like, that's what we're kind of going for. I think that's the only way this will sustain. But it's it's really hard. Like, how do you tell that story on a on a website? Right. About like how, you know, yep. this is the way that you can work in this organization and for it to feel real. You know, even a recruiter. I mean, I, I, I do recruiting all the time and as does my team. Yeah. And, you know, everyone's journey is very personal and our preferences are really different. So, you know, how do you lean into that instead of, um, you know, trying to create a picture that isn't accurate? Yeah, it sounds like self-understanding for the employee or candidate is like a really important skill um, to have coming into this environment in this new environment with a hybrid workplace, which is so different than how things were for for you and I coming up. And one one thing that just came up for me is wondering as a recruiter, Jen, this has taken me so many years of majority of my professional life to understand. Do you tap into the energy of the, is it just kind of like, do you get a vibe? Like when you're recruiting, do you have like an intuition around people? I, I feel like it's something that I, it's taken me a really long time to learn to trust that. I mean, of course we still have to deploy curiosity and, yeah. you know, obviously speak and interact with people, but I definitely am learning to, to honor that the sense that I have of, of what it is to be with a person in terms of how, not only how they're showing up, but I guess how we're showing up together. Is there something, is there an energetic component to recruitment? It's interesting that you say it because like my personal 
I guess my instincts definitely feel what you're talking about, mm -hmm. but I also, I guess my, my practical and, you know, if I put my diversity, equity, inclusion lens on mm -hmm. and also my generational lens on, mm -hmm. you know, really checking those biases becomes so important because I think yeah. about even like our kids are a perfect example. You talked about how do we prepare kids for this type of environment? I think yeah. self-understanding is definitely one, right. Of like getting really clear on what are the ways that, that um, I show up at my best, right? And, mm -hmm. and how do I understand the things about myself that allow for that? But else also, and thinking about, you know, many of our kids are on text message, right? And so there's not human contact. So if you take somebody who's been primarily communicating with their friends and family on text message, um, or maybe a FaceTime here or there, and then all of a sudden you put them on eight hours of Zoom meetings where they haven't been used to looking at themselves all day, like it, it can cause people to show up really different. Yeah. Um, and it's not comfortable for everyone to mm -hmm. be behind the screen. And, and it's mm -hmm. tricky because I think, you know, I've certainly worked with leaders who feel like if somebody's not on camera, they're not engaged. And I just don't think that's true. I just think it yeah. does require a different level of energy. I mean, I, for, for most of my day, if I'm on Zoom, I actually turn off the self view because I find that looking yeah. at myself is so unhealthy. Right. So I think there is the part of like, sure, you get an instinct. Mm -hmm. But I also think there's so much you don't get to see. It's mm -hmm. like the, you know, the zoom lens is like the iceberg, right? And you only get the top. And so there's all this other stuff that if you don't deploy your curiosity to dig in and really understand and, and give somebody a chance to articulate who they are um, through good questions, you're going to miss it. And so I try to check my gut. Like it, there's that old saying, yeah. first recruiting, they used to say like, oh, you know, in the first two minutes. And I actually push myself to say, like, if I think I know in the first two minutes, I'm probably wrong. How could you possibly judge someone in two minutes? Right. Right. Like, right. 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 So, right. That's a flash surface judgment. Right. That that's yeah. a judgment. Right. Yes. You know, trying to really dig dig yeah. in and ask the right questions and establish that psychological safety in such a short period of time, such that yeah. you can make a decision about if somebody's going to be successful in your company. It's, it's hard, you know? And so that they can make a decision too, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, it's so interesting. Jen, you mentioned a couple of things already that you do to support your own mental and emotional health throughout the day. Something as simple as turning off self view on zoom like that. I've started, I've been doing that for gosh, a year or two. And I absolutely love it. I just love like when I'm, when I don't see myself, I, yes, I feel much more present. I feel much more that I can be in the flow of a conversation. Oh, okay. So I'm curious, what are some other things that you have learned that for you and things that have worked for other people as well that support their mental and emotional health throughout the workday? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, understanding and, and spending some time, I actually did a little bit of a study on myself right when the pandemic started around how do I get into flow, you know, in this new environment and just sort of tracked for a week, like where were the high moments, where were the low moments? Because I found that my my in-person energy hours actually turned out to be pretty different than my virtual energy hours. Like I used to be somebody who would get much more energized for like the deeper work in the afternoon when I was in person because I expended so much in the morning that by the time I got to the afternoon, I could put my head down. It was a good time. That's mm. completely flip-flopped for me. So now like my deep thinking time really in a virtual environment like has to happen in the morning. So like, you know, starting with just sort of understanding 
what, you know, what are your peak energy moments? Like, how do you get into flow? When do you hit your outer limits and need to sort of dial it back? And then what are the practical strategies that you can deploy throughout the day that keep you feeling good? So, you know, one of the first decisions I made once I knew we were like, I was going to be home potentially five days a week was I got a sit stand desk um, and I have it set so that and I, I have little triggers in my calendar of like, all right, I'm standing now and I'm sitting just to help manage my movement. Because, again, if you're on camera all day, like you forget about that. Um, I also, you know, have created a, a routine around how I spend my lunchtime. So, you know, I always leave my desk at lunch, like no matter what, I, I may decide to take a conversation or do a walk um, and have a conversation or just sit downstairs and watch, you know, 30 minutes of, you know, uh, Real Housewives and eat my lunch or something. But like taking some sort of a mental break um, is, is really important. So I think sort of figuring out my flow throughout the week, because not every day is the same. Also, I have I have kids who have after school schedules and a nanny. And so, you know, because I work in my home and my kids are home after school, you know, their schedules have to be really integrated into mine. Um, you know, so it, it, is, it takes a lot more planning, I would say, like I sit on, you know, Sunday nights or Monday mornings and really think out my week and try to figure out how do I um, create a schedule that feels good, that balances the right amount of thinking time, um, as well as work time and social time, because I'm a social person. I love being able to get to see my girlfriends once a week, you know, and also, you know, husband date nights and things like that. So it just you know, it's a lot of um, it's a lot of planning. And then, you know, every day I sort of check in with, you know, how did it go yesterday? What do I need to do different today um, in order to to maintain it? But as, as much as it, it does take a little bit more planning and I have become more disciplined in my own schedule, you know, I work out every day at 6 a.m. Like that helps me sort of start the day. Mm -hmm. I'm so much happier. Like I cannot possibly imagine even if my office was down the street and I love mm -hmm. seeing people in person. But man, like to get to do it this way and kind of on my terms, you know, and I, I get to go up and see my peers um, every Thursday, which I love. It's amazing. I feel so grateful um, to, to get to live this really integrated life. It's awesome. Oh, that's beautiful. So I'm also hearing a few things that you do outside of the workday that then mm -hmm. helps support yes. feeling more emotionally and mentally connected into the workday. So it was working out at 6 a.m., things like making sure that you're hanging with friends, you got the date mm -hmm. night. What are some other things that are that are outside of the workday that you do to support your your, your work? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, getting outside for me is huge. Like just making sure that I have some vitamin D, you know, take over take my dog over to the park, um, to throw the ball, you know, like there's there's little stuff and a lot of these things take five minutes. It's not, yeah. it's not like I need to clear an hour, but it's just taking five minutes. Um, I actually, I use a feature for any of you that use Google. There's a feature in the settings called speedy meetings, which essentially will just make sure that your, your meetings are scheduled for 50 minutes instead of 60. Um, and that's actually <laughs> been really critical too, because then yeah. I'm not back to back to yeah. back. Like there's nothing worse than, I don't like being uh. late. I hate being late really. And so knowing that I have a little bit of a buffer in between if, you know, if it is a day where I, I have, I'm stacked in meetings, like I've got a little bit of a buffer to have a bio break or stretch or go outside, you know, so it's, it's like all of the little things ultimately for me that, that make a big impact. Um, you know, I meditate and, you know, so and that's one of my, you know, my coping strategies where if I know I'm having like a heavy like afternoon is my um, I feel like I, I just get more drained in the afternoon. 
And so that's usually when I'll bring in a meditation, just a quick five minutes, you know, using an app, um, just to help give me a little bit of boost and check in with where I'm at. Well, then I'll, I'll use this moment to plug the Yes Collective Wellness Reset five-minute meditations. Yes. <laughs> So good. Yeah, I have a curiosity and a follow-up, Jen. And it, this is in the space of advice. I spent a lot of time working in higher education in very embattled environments where, I mean, it's not psychologically safe. Um, it's, in fact, psychologically super unsafe <laughs> and very often um, combative. I mean, really, uh, really difficult. And early on in my career, I I had times of like depression, like deep unhappiness at work, not being supported in this way. And feeling completely stuck, like I had no way out. There was not, I mean, especially when you're in a job and, you know, your resume needs to show at least a year and you're super unhappy and you're in the wrong place and you have to weather another six, 12 months just to be able to get another job, you know, like that type of thing. Um, so what do you recommend for folks who are in an environment that doesn't support you in the way that, you know, Ritual supports its employees. For someone who's feeling unsafe, are there some practices and in, in even thinking on like how to maybe communicate with the employer, communicate with the supervisor? Like, are there some practices that um, you can recommend to someone to really to somehow carve out that space to focus on one's mental health and well-being getting through a period of time like that? Oh, it's, it, my heart breaks. Um, and I know that that's a real scenario for a lot of people. Right. And I think, you know, I, I think about some of those people in my life who do, you know, what to me feels like just really grueling and very, very difficult roles, but they do it because they derive like such great meaning and purpose from it. Um, and or to your point, like there's a North Star, right? There's a, there's a goal. And so I think that's, I mean, that's for me sort of the, one of the most important parts is reminding yourself of why you're here and why you're doing it. Reconnecting to that purpose can help bring a little bit of peace uh, to your heart and to your mind um, when you're in the trenches of it. But then I think when you're in it, I think to your point, you know, it is, it's, it's the little kind of subtle things and giving yourself some space and a break and figuring out what are the strategies that work well for you to be able to decompress. And, you know, everyone's got different preferences, right? And so some people just need to get it out and they need to vent. And, you know, I've been there um, and I try to be there for my girlfriends, um, you know, when that work in those types of jobs and, and just be there to listen. And so like, if you just need to get it all out, everything that happened in the last hour, you just need to get it out. Like, I'm here for you. I will listen to it. I won't say a word. I'll just be here so that I can be present for you. You know, I think other other things like, you know, I mentioned the, um, you know, meditating, right, and taking a few minutes um, to meditate, or if if you're somebody who needs to move, you know, or needs to just sort of sweat it out, um, it, like, how can you, you know, figure out going back to what you said before around deep self-understanding of what are your coping mechanisms so that you can deploy them at the right time. Um, but, you know, there's also comes a point where if you're not finding that meaning and purpose anymore, and the North Star doesn't seem clear, you know, I don't know, I having lost a child and having, you know, broad perspective on, you know, for me now, like what life really means, life is too short to spend time doing something that makes you really unhappy. And so, you know, it, there's, there's always a risk reward, right? And maybe you want to get to that year mark, because you need that on your resume. But mm -hmm. if it's coming at a cost to your health and well being on a day to day mm -hmm. basis, like I would ask yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I think that's a great point, Jen. 
And one thing I realized too, going back to work after Max was diagnosed and, um, is, and, and then starting to do my own work, realizing like how much I perceived I was stuck because I, I thought I had to participate in the system and understanding I didn't have to participate in it, you know, and learning, starting to learn my own boundaries. I had no concept of boundaries at that time. I had no concept of, um, the fact that like I could simply do it differently, you know, and I don't have to be just because everyone else is in battle doesn't mean I have to be. Um, and so that was a really beautiful thing for me is kind of losing the fear and losing some of that scarcity mindset around this is the way the shoulds, this is the way things have to be done or else this is going to happen. And so I wonder how much of it, this can be like seeking out support with some of the processing, some of the emotional work, you know, taking advantage. A lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of employers do have give access to some yes. type of mental health care and taking full advantage of it for me like this conversation, if someone's listening and is in this situation to understand that, I mean, we're really trying to normalize mental health care yes. and mental wellness. And to say that going and getting help for this, that, that struggling at work is a reason to get support. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just having, you know, uh, a diagnosis or, you know, something kind of like working on a deeper trauma is it's like, that is more than enough reason to get help because you're right. Life is so short. And to feel, you know, caged and caught and um, unsupported and unseen and unheard and not valued, we should have a limited bandwidth for that. 100% agree. Could not have said that better. Jen, from your perspective, everywhere you've been, uh, you know, you have worked with some of the biggest companies in the world. Now, from your perspective, what do you think executive teams and managers need to do in order to support mental and emotional health in the workplace? What do you think are some of the things that they really need to start to consider? If you could wave your magic wand, Jen, and every, you know, and this is going to be like, this is going to be the next paradigm. And this is something that's, you know, the, the, what you see is fully actionable, right? Gosh, I mean, the first big step, and if I could sprinkle the pixie dust on every leader I knew would to be make sure that everyone has really wonderful, active listening skills. I think we very often get into a space where we're doing much more talking than we are listening. And like, that's the very first step is just mm. keeping your ears open <laughs> because if you can create the, if you can keep your ears open and just start to create some space, it's amazing what comes into that space. And I'm always amazed that people like to fill the air, right? <laughs> like, I don't know about you, but when you're in conversations, like people are really uncomfortable in silence. And like the silence is actually like where the goodness is. Um, and if you can sit in it, especially as a leader and just be okay with like what might emerge, then you can start to build. <laughs> just for the listeners, yeah, just, just to know there's this wonderful, wonderful dog in the background. Yes. <laughs> Sweet, <laughs> sweetheart. With a cone, yeah. With a with a cone, you know, we feel for the cone. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be so hard. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, so yeah, I just I think there's something there because you know, again, that that psychological safety is going to be the most important thing in order to you know, as you look around, and and the good news is there is a ton of research now. Um, that's available and at our disposal about ways to build psychological safety and the four different stages of that. And, and so there, there's a lot there, you know, when I go back to thinking about the training and the education, like that's the stuff I get excited about. That's the stuff that we're educating our leaders about um, internally at Ritual. Um, but, you know, helping leaders understand that that 
that psychological safety is really, you know, the unlock to building that trust and allowing people to bring their whole self to work. And, and then everything sort of can, can grow from there. Um, but it starts with just being present and being open to listen. Uh, yeah. So, so Jen, I, I'll, I'll just say my, my own emotional health journey has been one of learning how to listen. Audra, would you say that I've become a better listener? I would say you have. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, coming from a really, uh, you know, this is a low bar to, <laughs> to become like, I'm, <laughs> um, but one of the things that I learned about myself around listening was that, I mean, I so identify with this desire to fill this, the space. And, you know, a lot of it is this desire to control and a fear that if I'm not controlling the conversation, if I'm not controlling where this is going, it's going to go off the rail, something or, or that it's not going to go in a direction that I am comfortable with or that I wanted to go. So I'm wondering, you know, how much of, of this learning to listen is really about leaders doing this deeper emotional work and coming into contact with this fear and this, and yes. this need for absolute control. Yes. and what and I love what you said of like you know when when we listen and when we create that space that good things happen good things you know come in. and yeah. it's really oh you know, yeah good mm -hmm. good things come in yeah so I just wonder what you think about that yeah the inner work is key right because I think if you're not aware of those biases and your blind spots and and to your point if it's fear if it's you know, everyone's holding on to something, right? I mean, no one is immune. Like everyone's got something that's, you know, that they're holding on to in some way and figuring out, you know, at least first steps of like what's going on for me that's allowing me or preventing me from showing up in a way that I want to um, is really, really key. And I mean, again, it goes back to like, no one's perfect, we're all humans, that's the beauty, right? But if you can be really open about that, um, and even, you know, I've said this, you know, and when I'm working on things, I generally will tell my team like, hey, I'm working on this thing, right? Like, I know that this has been a problem for me in the past, or I know I could be better at it and I'm working on it. And I want you to hold me accountable when you see it. That's so inspiring. And that, sh I mean, to have that level of groundedness and confidence to say, this is what I'm working on. And like, here it is, <laughs> lay it out. Oh, wow. Is that something that you had to learn how to do to, to be that vulnerable with, with your team? Definitely. I mean, I, yeah, it's taken, you know, I, I talked about some of the role models, but it's also taken many years of practice of just, and, and reading great authors. I love Brene Brown. I mean, one of my favorite quotes and something I use all the time is clear is kind, right? But I think there's, there's so much in vulnerability that helps unlock, you know, your potential, but the potential in others. And so I think when you can just sort of let go of all of that stuff and be really honest and say like, I mean, again, no one's perfect. We're all working on something. If you name it, then you can at least share in it. Right. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that Beautiful. makes it so much safer and feels better. And I mean, Beautiful. I feel so much freer knowing that I can just show up and I, I really do, you know, I, I try to create the invitation for others by being really vulnerable myself. Right. And so I'll share my story or I'll share my experiences and, and I'm okay to lead that out because I know that, you know, in my experience, like once you've done that, it's people are more apt to, to then respond. Right. And so I'm okay to go first. I'm okay to get through the awkwardness and, um, and try to create that invitation for the vulnerability too. And, and usually it works.
Well, Jen, I hope it's not speaking out of turn to say that the way you've shown up in the pilot in uh, the group sessions has been totally inspiring and totally beautiful. And it's like, oh, Thank wow, you. this is this is how it's a leader leadership does yeah. it. It's been oh. it's been really, it's really it, it's such a beautiful change, Jen. I wonder if you see this. I mean, I worked in leadership development for many years and all of the literature, you know, at the time was on the 10 steps to coerce or to motivate or, you know, all of the different things. And it never, never, never <laughs> in any of those lists, would you find your inner work as one of the steps in leadership, mm -hmm. right? Never. And it really wasn't until Brene Brown. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, I feel like she's for me, anyway, maybe it's our generation, you know, um, she was de definitely, you know, the one carrying the flag forward uh, of change, um, beginning with vulnerability. And so I, I wonder if that's the next frontier for leadership is going is, is like really you know, digging deep within. I hope so. Anyway, do you see this change happening in willingness? Yeah, I do. I, I, yeah, absolutely. And I think about even, you know, even some of the skills they're teaching. I, I, I went back to grad school a few years back and um, did a program around organizational development and the whole basis of, and, and you're seeing this a lot in business schools now, you know, especially when they're talking about leadership, like the, the, that journey is shifting. Right. And I think that the inner work, one of the first activities we did back then was like discovering your narrative, like taking a moment to just make sense of your life. What has happened? What did those moments mean? And how did they impact you? And how can you talk about them? And and so, you know, I think it's really cool because I think people do that work naturally as a part of their their mental health journey with a therapist or a right. psychologist. But to do that in a business context setting feels mm -hmm. really different. And I've actually, I've led that work in a business context with, you know, as a part of leadership development to have people go on that journey. And it's fun to see an organization evolve because, you know, those exercises typically start with people thinking about the milestones that you would put on your right. resume. But then as people get more comfortable, all of a sudden there's all this texture of all that happened in between that in the life moments that actually made them make the choice about the resume moment. And that, and it's all those inner, it's all those other parts, right? And and that's when the stories kind of come to life. And then that's where the vulnerability starts to happen. So I do think, um, yes, it's absolutely that paradigm is shifting. I think all of the all of the dialogue that we're having around mental health in general is really helping with that. We need to keep doing more of it. But I think practicing it and, and also, you know, like I said, sort of creating that invitation in a business context is something that we can do as leaders um, in organizations. Like it's very possible. It's a part of the business strategy. Um, it's not another thing. It's it's the thing because the thing. humans yeah. are the ones running the organization. So I think if you can get alignment, um, you know, within the leadership team to focus on it and then you get somebody who knows how to do it, it can be a really wonderful um, way to start to allow people mm -hmm. to bring a different part of them to the work. Jen, is a part of that not being everything? I think a part of the old model is a performance of leadership, not actual leadership. It's it's all this performative stuff of I am all knowing, all commanding, all everything to everyone, right? And is are we seeing a shift where folks are showing up with their strengths to say, listen, I I like really feel great here. This is what I feel like I add. And we are structuring this in a way to that we're a well-rounded team that, you know, yeah. we have complementary um, strengths that we're bringing to the table. Not everyone has to be everything. Oh, gosh. I think that's a huge turnoff, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Not that you're asking, but man, I mean, nothing gets me 
like more fired up when somebody doesn't demonstrate any level of humility. Like yes, that I, will, I know that, that that person will not, yes. Yes. will not do well in, in sort of my life. Like I think about sort of growth mindset and I think about, you know, again, being adaptive to business needs and stuff like that. I think it is good for people to have some self-confidence and to know what they're good at. Um, and I think that, you know, again, that mm -hmm. also comes from the inner work just as much as knowing the mm -hmm. blind spots, but also just being open to learning and to changing. And, you know, I think that's just critical. And I, and in most organizations, like that's what they're talking about. I mean, humility is absolutely a key competency um, in most organizations now, because I mean, I think about my day-to-day -day job in the last two and a half years, like we're charting unknown all the time. Yeah. And so like, there's no way that I, we could all know anything right, right. about anything, frankly. So <laughs> right. I, mean, I, you know, I, I said to you guys earlier today, you know, the change for me is the fun part, because if you can come into a scenario and realize that you don't know everything, like mm -hmm. there are some things, you know, that help create an opinion that you might have or some assumptions you might make, but there's a whole other part of the story that you probably don't know. And if you aren't courageous enough to say that, then you're going to miss out on somebody else potentially being able to fill that gap. Yeah. And so like it, it does take yep. courage to say, I don't know, but I'll find out or I'm going to, you know, let's find out together. Um, but the solution is always so much better. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, like I said, it's, it's never, no one likes to know it all. Like, let's be honest, nobody yeah. does. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to take control of the wheel again, and I'm going to land this plane, Jen, with our last three questions that we ask everybody. And so the first one is, if you could put a big post-it note on everyone's fridge tomorrow morning, what would it say? Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to steal this shamelessly from my incredible yoga teacher. Cause it's so good, but it would say, what can you do for yourself today with belief in, in the human values and gifts? Like we're all trying to serve everyone else. Right. And, and one another. And so if you, if you can't stop and ask, answer the question for yourself, like once a day, then you're probably not serving really the person who's most important, which, which is you. So you know, taking a, taking a minute to just think about like, what can you do for yourself today? I think is really important for everyone. I love that. And then the last quote that changed the way you think or feel, you know, the one that sort of guides me all the time, um, it's inspired by my daughter, but be the things you loved most and the person you lost. And it's interesting that quote has inspired me since she passed away to sort of role model the things that she did so well, but it also guides me now, five years later, to think about like when I see gifts in someone, how did I, how do I honor them by doing those things too, you know, and Beautiful. by like taking Beautiful. the goodness from someone and really thinking about how I can bring that to the world as well. That's beautiful, mm, that's Jen. Inspiring. I love that. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for sharing that. That that is really really impactful to me. I love that. Framing. I I don't think I had heard that before. Like that's really powerful. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, and and just a beautiful way to 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 just allow that that spirit to live on in the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So the third and final question is: What's one thing that's giving you hope right now? Mm -hmm. As there's many. I mean, the two of you are one. Um, shameless oh. plug for you and for the Yes Collective. But I think. You know, figuring out how do we tackle like there's, you know, these big meaty problems in the world. And mm -hmm. I think having people who have the energy to get in and try to solve them and keep talking about them and 
you know, that's inspiring to me. It's, it's certainly, you know, energy depleting, you know, to live in like the doom and gloom side of things. And, and I know we all, we all go there sometimes, but I think the giving me hope is having conversations like this and thinking about how do we keep working to make ourselves better and so that we can be better for others. And I mean, that's why I love, honestly, why I love going to work every day is because I think about like, what are the kinds of, what are the kinds of conversations I can have? How can I leave people feeling better than when we started? Um, and if I can just do a little bit of that every day, then I know that I'm like doing the good work. Jen, I just got chills, like, like everywhere, like kind of tingling <laughs> when you hear that, like that, what a gorgeous like vision of your role and what, I mean, that gives me hope to think of every company having that type of support. It's almost like a healer. Like people have like internal, their internal legal and marketing teams and all of that. But I mean, what about that heart and, and what you're bringing and nurturing and supporting and and loving and caring for the people that generate all of this, you know, and bring all of this to the world. Like that is awesome. I'm with you. Thank you. It's, I mean, I think it's one of the coolest jobs. I mean, there are many, many jobs I expect to have in my lifetime because there's so much still to learn, but to get to do work like this, where, I mean, truly like my job is just making sure that people are feeling seen, heard, valued, respected, and that we're unlocking their gifts, right? And that they yes. can come to work every day and deploy them. Like, I don't know what job is better than that, frankly. Like, I'm, I'm super lucky. It's mm, awesome. Beautiful. What a, just what drop an the awesome mic, way. Jen. <laughs> yeah, what an awesome way to drop the mic. <laughs> thank Jen, you thank you so much for joining us. Yes. You're, you're amazing. We, yes, we love and appreciate you. Thank you. Hey, if you like what we're doing here at Yes Collective Podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player, share it with other parents in your life, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yes Collective is a mental health movement for all parents, so let's spread the love.